Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of My Thesis interview series. Uh, today we have with us Jason Miller, the former senior advisor to President Trump and the CEO of the new alternative social media app, Gather. Um, I'm going to go to uh, Jason now, but um, my first question is going to be this. Hello, Jason. Firstly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Secondly, uh, we have a bit of a problem in uh, Britain with uh, your branding getter we we don't know how to say it because if we say you have to either say it in an american way we can't say getter <laughs> how do we say if you if you try to say it in a british accent <laughs> getter like a go-getter we like still, that, say, that's still say getter yeah we don't do getter in britain so we're gonna have to go with the american accent so getter um yeah i'm gonna put the link in the description so but we're gonna talk about this so uh firstly uh jason um, obviously throughout your career you've done a lot in terms of uh, political communication consultancy and uh advisory um, your recent experience with the obviously the white house and uh, president trump uh, speaks for itself um, first let's talk about this new app because uh, we know that we have a bit of a problem with the uh, big tech censorship and uh, of course it came out in terms of the debate in america as he goes on a lot of issues including the former president trump himself um, being deplatformed um, but in britain and other places as well even in, in europe in germany and france we have a big problem with corporations who go hand in hand with the woke side of the establishment and the state uh, who try to essentially dictate what we can do, what we can say, ha what we can you know, wear, what we can eat. Um, what, give me the, a very short story of uh, this new platform, why and how it can be different. Well, absolutely. And in fact, I just published an op-ed in the Washington Times today that really lays out how this last year has been the single worst year for censorship in American history. Now, obviously, to our friends across the pond, uh, this isn't just limited to the United States. In fact, it's not even the U.S. in the U.K. You look at what's happening in uh, Brazil or what's happening in, say, Nigeria or India. This battle of the Silicon Valley tech oligarchs telling people what they can and can't think practicing effectively political discrimination, mm. I think is, especially with the, the wokeism that this seems to be that taken over the, the entire world, it's a real problem. So we saw last year in the United States, not just with the, some of the initial shadow banning with people daring to question where COVID-19 originated from. Uh, shocker, uh, a lab in Wuhan, uh, just to, in, in case you, you didn't know, but people are being canceled <laughs> or, or shadow banned for things like that. Or if you dared to criticize uh, the anointed one, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Uh, but obviously, as you moved into the fall, we saw then where big tech and big media got together and they silenced the Hunter Biden laptop story. And I know I realize these are domestic issues and uh, obviously folks in the UK are, are you know up to their ears right now dealing with the pandemic, uh, as I've been seeing, and the you know some of these um, completely insane uh, rules that are going on with some of the the COVID uh, aspect of things, but also just with the way the, the rampant cancel culture. And so we decided that uh, that we need to have a platform that supported free speech that opposed cancel culture. And if you believe in those two principles, we want, want you to join the platform. So we kicked it off on July 4th, our Independence Day, and uh, had a, a great launch. We're about 2 million users right now, fastest ever platform to a million. We did that in about three days. So it shows you some of the, the energy and the passion uh, that is there. And this thing's taken off uh, globally. And so about half of the user base is in the US, about half is internationally. Actually about 15% is in Brazil, uh, believe it or not. Uh, UK is definitely one of our, our top 10 partners and we hope to be adding some very prominent names in the uh, in the very near future here uh, that will uh, make the UK an even more important um, player 
within this. So we're excited to have Getter off the ground and have it going. That's, I mean, it's good effort because um, I think we've had some issues uh, in recent times. Um, of course, over the last 10, 15 years, these platforms were dominated by, well, at the time, they actually started as startups, all your classic Facebooks and YouTubes and all these other guys. Uh, but then they became not only the biggest, but uh, they dominated the the whole environment of uh, obviously the social media world uh, up to a point where when it got bad and it's not even a recent thing it's been getting bad quite recently in terms of the last few years we and it's well you might say it's a political thing the conservative side or i would say anti-woke side tried a number of times in recent years to have alternative platforms whether it was an alternative to twitter uh, or alternative to youtube and things like that um, didn't work for a number of reasons because uh, one was sometimes they got the bad PR from day one. Unfortunately, they just lost the battle. You know, whether you like it or not, they, they bring you down and that's it. I'm not going to name any of them, but obviously you know, just, it happened. And the others, um, it, it, when it becomes an echo chamber, you kind of still need that bigger picture. Uh, to be fair, I could say right now, because obviously I, did my, you know, I got the app myself and I signed up and everything else and a lot of the friends who looked at it. In terms of the tech perspective, it's very easy easy to use it actually looks nice so that's perfect uh, secondly it still doesn't really have that bad image yet so that we just have to make sure of that so how would you say that you're going to protect protect that especially for the more of the western european side in terms of especially brit uh, so that this doesn't get cancelled um at least yet so that i mean as you said um you, as you said, within the next well, first four or five days you had a million users that's brilliant anyway uh, but how do we continue something like this, this platform, uh, without making it come across as a hard right extremist thing? So a couple of things here. Obviously, right now, the, the passion uh, for much of the free speech movement is in the center right space uh, globally. Yeah. Uh, and that's because of the, kind of this big rebellion against big tech. Uh, the pendulum, though, over the years has very much swung, obviously, going back to the 1960s and 1970s much more of the passion in the free speech aspect was, say, on the center left, uh, you'd say, I mean, even going back 10, 15 years ago, I mean, a lot of the free speech debate uh, was around, say, the the gay rights movement or yep. gay marriage. Uh, and so the pendulum swings. This is something I tell my, uh, my liberal friends, and yes, I actually do have liberal friends, uh, but I tell them, hey, it's not going to be long until you're the ones uh, who are saying we need to have this free speech. So we're making a concerted effort to try to excuse me, bring people on board. Uh, but we know that a lot of that passion is in the center right. I do think that having the international component from day one does help. Uh, the fact that we have folks in North America, South America, Africa, Europe, Asia, uh, they're all joining this platform because people in other countries don't wake up and say, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat, same way that no one wakes up in the US and says I'm Labor or I'm Tory or whatever the case might be. So having this international component, I think really helps uh, with this. Um, but it's, uh, you know, we definitely are making a, a concerted effort trying to get people uh, who aren't just, say, center-right, but maybe more in, in pop culture uh, or go and get some of the, the people on the left who actually do value uh, free speech. So these are all very important points that, that, that we want to have. But the way that we keep this growing, I think, when things different, technology is a lot better. I think for too long, people in the center-right space have been told, you can have, in fact, we encourage you to go build your own platform, go do your own thing. But just most of them haven't had the resources uh, or the time uh, to go and put it together and have something really good. I mean, the reason why you don't see a lot of brand new social media platforms popping up, it is really 
expensive to do. It's hard to find the labor, to find the manpower to go and do this. I mean, heck, here in the U.S., guess what? Kids don't wake up uh, in in the U.S. and want to code. Uh, That is, you got to put together an international workforce. You got people in China. well, and you got to you got to get people from all over the world who want to go and participate, who believe in this free speech effort to put that together. It is tough. But I think that our international presence right at the beginning shows yeah. and the technology, just how smooth and how clean it looks that we're going to be players. Uh, and look, we've already seen the, the left and big tech and other folks try to take uh, take their shots at us early on. Um, I think that's part of the reason why I was the perfect fit to, to join Getter. If you've ever seen me battle, whether it be on President Trump's behalf or uh, anything else I'm done. It's a pretty tough target to uh, uh, to topple over. And uh, and uh, through, I think, sheer will, the team that we put together here is going to make sure that this platform is defended, that something that's going to be open to people, and you never have to worry about being canceled politically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, to be fair, one thing that's actually impressive, I'll give you credit, is that, uh, I don't know if it was luck or is effort, it was uh, this new platform, Getter, um, because of your name behind this, it should be an easier target uh, because of the links to President Trump and everything like that. Yet other platforms that actually not that some fail, of course, but again, I'm not going to name any, uh, but some who didn't succeed as much didn't even have a direct link, but they still got destroyed. So the fact that you guys can still actually go uh, quite well over the last especially month or so is pretty me- good. Make a quick point on that. So, look, one of the things, too, that uh, and I'm a a big free speech advocate. Obviously, I wouldn't be taking the helm of a free speech social media app if not. Uh, But I think part of the reason why some of these other companies got knocked down a rung is because they literally had no moderation at the front end. Uh, Look, I'm I'm very much an an unabashed conservative. I'm right of center. I also have zero tolerance uh, when it comes to, say, uh, racial or religious epithets on a platform. I have zero tolerance uh, for people being doxxed or being physically or uh, verbally threatened on a platform. Uh, that is that's not that's not political free speech. Same thing. You can't walk into a pub in the UK and and threaten someone uh, without there being repercussions. Although probably the most immediate repercussion uh, would be a you know maybe a, a, a pine upside your head. Uh, so you can't walk into uh, you know into a restaurant and threaten people. Yeah. Obviously that uh, you can't have that type of behavior on your platform. Our goal is to make sure that nobody is ever censored or deplatformed or anything of the sort for sharing their political beliefs. Mm. That being said, we're gonna make sure that this is a community where people can feel safe. Your free speech yep. rights go right up to the point where they start to infringe on someone else's safety or their well-being or their own free speech rights. I've said that from day one, I've, and we've had a moderation plan in effect and working from the beginning, and so we, we weren't caught flat-footed. We didn't have a, a period where, oh, uh, we never thought that we'd need to have some kind of moderation because, again, even the absolute best if, uh, environment, if we want to have this environment yep. for political free speech, we have to make sure it's not taken over by people who are coming on and, and trying to use it for uh, outright illegal purposes. No, you're right. I think uh, that's where a lot of these efforts have uh, been like, well, failed over the last few years because some people think that you have to create something that's completely different to the likes of Facebook or Twitter. You don't have to be different. You actually have to be exactly like Facebook and Twitter when they were created. The early days of these platforms, when they, you know, they actually were clean and you know were pro free speech, and then obviously they got uh, all the pressure on them by all the lobbies and all the obviously classic anti free speech people. And but the early days of Twitter and Facebook and all these platforms were what we want something to be. So getter should be, and it is, the early days of Facebook and Twitter. Um, and so it's not supposed to be something completely different or opposite. Um, and I think that, well, that goes back to the, as you said, the state of the political spectrum, whether it's 
in the US or Western Europe in, or in Britain, because I think um, there are a lot of correlations between uh, free speech and anti-free speech in terms of the conservative side and the, the so-called liberal side. Um, but there are still some good liberals left. And unfortunately, I, there are a few names left that are, uh, we, like you and I will still disagree with them fundamentally on certain policies, but uh, we actually kind of, I respect people like Bill Meyer and a few others in Britain as well, like Majid Nawaz, who are liberal, but they're actually pro-free speech and also they are kind of anti-woke-ish, uh, that they get attacked by the left. They are being cancelled by the left. These are the people who are supposed to be on the left. Um, and I th the problem is, I, th I think that they are now the previous generation. So all the young people, um, the good thing about the conservative side is that there's a growing uh, mass movement on the on this side that a lot of young people are becoming conservative. Of course, there are still more younger liberal people. But the issue is, what is the state of politics now in America? Because we talked about big tech, but what's happening now? Because you've got President Biden and you've got this new... They've got two problems now. We've got the, the establishment uh, in the Biden administration, whether it becomes in terms of uh, free speech or everyday policy. And you've got the actual woke side, your Antifas, your AOCs and all the others who are also controlling uh, society and culture on a different level. Um, what's the battle here? What's going on? Tell the British viewers what's happening in America. <laughs> Well, I'd, I'd point right back to the UK, and I'd say that we're so much of this where we really saw the, um, you know, the proverbial canary in the coal mine, so to speak, was Brexit, and Brexit was the um, the, the harbinger of this uh, this populist, nationalist, populist uh, pushback movement, kind of the self determination all around the world. Um, we saw President Trump, then we saw President Bolsonaro, we've seen President Modi. Obviously, in in his own uh, different style, but what we've uh, we've even seen it with the, the yellow vests in France pushing back on this. But this broader, uh, it's a continuation of the the haves versus the have-nots, or the elites versus the working people. And what it's you're seeing in the U.S. right now, so much of this is becoming uh, these are the the power centers and the financial folks in New York, um, uh, political folks in Washington D.C., or the Hollywood uh, entertainment elites out in California, and then you have the rest of the country. Uh, and we're look, I think we're not too far away from seeing some of the the same protests here in the U.S. with regard to gas taxes and things like that going up. Because guess who doesn't worry about a gas tax? Someone who takes Uber everywhere they go, or who rides it rides an e-scooter to work or t or telecommutes from their basement in Delaware. The middle uh, classes, yeah. Yeah. I'll right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but people have to people have to go and fill up with a uh, gallon or in your guys case, you know, liters of uh, um, of uh, of gasoline uh, to go and, and get to work and they really have to watch that or they go to the store and they know exactly how much a gallon of of milk or uh, say for example a loaf of bread, they know how much these things cost. It makes a real world impact, but we're seeing this divide. This is going on in every country in the world. And here's the thing that I tell everyone, if you think, I say this to my uh, American folks, especially when I'm doing interviews and such, if you think Americans are ticked off that three billionaires in Silicon Valley are telling them what their free speech rights can and can't be, imagine if you're not even American. Imagine if you're outside the United States, if you're in another country saying, wait, why are these three billionaires in Silicon Valley tell me what my free speech rights are and are not? Yeah. And at a certain point, free speech, now that we're in this era of, uh, of political discrimination, free speech is only okay if you agree with them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the irony. A lot of the left-wingers in the UK uh, attack the foreign bankers. You know, anyone who's a banker, uh, but it's foreign, or, or, or like you know, a rich person, like creating business here. Uh, because they say, oh, foreigners coming here, like, you know, even though they don't really say corona because left-wingers wouldn't say, but that's what they mean. But then they actually don't really care about the fact that there are also foreigners in Silicon Valley 
telling Europeans what to do <laughs> when it comes to big tech, ironically. So I think that's the biggest issue that we have. So one thing that we are now waiting, everybody in the UK, is uh, what, what's next for, uh, well, I was going to say America, but it's not just you guys, because anything that happens in America has a massive impact on us. Uh, so uh, what's next for Trumpism or the, the conservatism in, in that sense? Uh, obviously, you have the experience of working for President Trump and that side. Um, we have this bump in the road right now. Um, I'm not obviously asking for you to leak anything in terms of what's going, what he wants to do or anything like that, but in in sense that as a movement, what's next and how can we, the conservative side, uh, counter what's going on with Biden and the Americans? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's the reason why I was a couple of moments late uh, joining you. I actually just came from President Trump from seeing him. Um, I'm here in New York, and so I'm only about 10 minutes away. But I went over and spent about an hour with him a little bit earlier today. Uh, went through a number of things. I, I I do think that the odds are higher of him running in 2024 right. than, uh, than not running. I think there's a very good chance. Uh, he actually showed me where they are literally these massive, massive binders of these coalitions that put together essentially a draft of President Trump for 2024 movement. Mm. And he was showing me, he's like, Jace, can you, I mean, look at these things. And this is like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who signed these petitions and are saying, we want you to run. I think President Trump going into the midterms in 2022, uh, the next elections where everyone in the House of Representatives and about a third of the U.S. senators and about two thirds of the U.S. governors are all up for election or re-election right. in 2022. Uh, I think President Trump wants to make sure we get that back. I think he's also, look, he's uh, still pretty focused on the election from 2020, about making sure that we're addressing some of the uh, the concerns that we've seen from uh, from some of these states where the uh, the counting was a little bit uh, uh, dodgy, I think would probably be the, uh, the most appropriately British way to uh, uh, to say it. Um, so he's concerned about that, but it's he is he is focused, he is fired up. Uh, we're we're literally talking through um, uh, who the uh, the polling numbers I was sharing with them some market research data um, as uh, as nerds like me would would sit down and want to do with a former president. We're talking through the uh, the highest rated shows on TV and the highest rated podcasts and things like that. So he's he's a massive consumer of news. I think he realizes uh, that Biden and kind of this wokest left is overreaching, not just in the U.S. We actually talked at length about both the U.K. and Brazil. Um, he just met with Eduardo um, Bolsonaro, President Bolsonaro's son, yesterday. So we're talking at length about. About that, but it's. I think that uh, I think the political left all around the world is is going way overboard, and at least as far as the U.S. going yep. into next year, I think it's going to backfire on them. That's quite interesting. And I think um, one of the things that everybody's waiting for is uh, how we can counter what's going on in America. And I think that the fact, that obviously, you're connected to President Trump and any plan that could happen in in the next few years, whether you know, obviously, he's uh, going to be trying to be the fighter that he is in terms of trying to go inside the Republican Party or go independent or a new party. Obviously, I'm not expecting to leak anything, but uh, or unless you want to, is uh, all, all the things that have been happening. A lot of the Western Europeans, including the Brits, uh, all we know and all people have been hearing is from the media about uh, President Trump or even Biden or anybody from America. Um, lighthearted question. Uh, what's the best thing about working for President Trump? Uh, I would say that there are a whole host of uh, different things with with President Trump, but I think the um, I think one of the uh, one of the best is just the fact that he's the exact same guy uh, off camera that he is on camera, uh, and so um, you can imagine the. 
uh, <laughs> if you're on his good side, um, then he, he's going to go ahead and let you know. Now, if you're not on his good side, he's going to go ahead and let you know. Uh, I think what, what a lot of people don't realize is how much of a sense of humor uh, he has. He's a, he's a pretty funny guy. Right. Um, right. And, uh, you know, and, and sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes you get, uh, uh, you know, you might be the focus of that. Sometimes other uh, other folks might be. But uh, I think I think he's at a point in life. I mean, there's probably no better job in the, the universe of being an ex-president uh, from the aspect that, uh, you know, there's uh, ex-presidents come out with an enormous amount of, of reach. Never before have we seen oh, yeah. a situation where President Trump has over $100 million uh, in his political account uh, to be able to help people. He has more than the Republican Party even has in the bank. Um, so he is the kingmaker. He is the uh, the proverbial 800-pound gorilla uh, that's there, and it's uh, there's a lot of fun being in his orbit. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, also to be kind of uh, objective, uh, the other on the on the other side, um, while you were advising him, especially previous time in terms of the presidency and the campaign in 2020, um, in terms of being in the swamp and uh, DC and all that, what was the least favorite thing for you about? those jobs, those sort of things that you have to be doing in this, within the establishment, anything frustrating or. Yeah. You know, it's a uh, look, I've had a long, uh, long career in, in politics in the U S and I've worked for, um, I worked for Rudy Giuliani when he ran for president 2008 and managed races for house and Senate and governor and was a chief of staff on Capitol Hill. So I've done all, all sorts of uh, different things in politics over the uh, the last two and a half decades or so. Um, used to have a lot more friends on the political left. Uh, things become so polarized that um, you know I never would have thought. I mean, I'm, I'm a big guy for um, for better or for worse. I'm usually not too physically intimidated by things, but uh, I've been at, at dinner with my family and had people come up and start yelling at me. I've been at the airport with my 12 year old daughter and have someone come up and start screaming in my face. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, you got to just kind of, you know, smile and brush it off. And, uh, you know, you self-select if you're going to go out on TV and put yourself in public, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to have a little bit of a target on, you know, a little bit of that comes, but, uh, you know, it's just gotten so nasty and negative. You know, I mean, the fact that um, other, uh, I live in a very liberal area. Uh, Washington DC is not a conservative hotbed. Uh, but you know, just having, uh, you know, uh, other, other parents, uh, that say my kids go to school with, it will say things to their kids such as, you know, um, uh, Oh, you know, uh, you know, Jason's, uh, or Jason's daughters, um, you know, uh, don't be friends with them because his dad or their dad works for president Trump. Wow. Uh, you know, that's just kind of a, uh, you know, I think kind of a B team, uh, kind of a day class, uh, perspective to take, uh, used to be able to, hey, you go out there and, you know, hit each other hard on the professional field, but then you can be friends and maybe grab a beer after work. A lot of that's kind of changed in D.C. now. It's so partisan uh, that a lot of people don't know where to uh, stop with their political ambitions and start with their humanity. Wow. I mean, sometimes we get frustrated with the clashes we have in Britain, but every, every now and then we get reminded of uh, the problems that you guys have in America with the, it's in a weird way, to be fair, President Reagan warned us about the new fascism coming from the left so uh, unfortunately that is kind of true but um i do want to thank you for uh, coming on the show because uh, it's not just because of the the new platform which i'm going to i'm going to put the link together oh thank you and in the description for everyone to actually i'm going to encourage you for a lot of brits to get it because all these platforms that came a lot of times um they, they were created whether they were alternative to any of these like twitter's on youtube or all the others uh, they were introduced quite late where they were already came across as the american platforms and the brits were like i want to download it and join but it's full of americans but it, now this one is more global anyway you're already kind of reaching uh, the, the british side and the western europeans and of course the brazilian and the others uh, so I've definitely put the link in the description but i do want to uh, thank you because 
uh, a lot of my uh, viewers and all the Brits and all the others want to hear more about uh, the state of uh, American politics. So I think you gave us a good uh, explanation of what's been happening recently. Well, thank you for having me. I look forward to hopefully being over there soon. Once is uh, once they get a little more reasonable on some of the uh, the quarantine protocols, uh, I'll be over there to visit. Definitely, and I'll take you to a very classic, tiny local British pub. <laughs> thank you. I look forward to it. Thank you.